This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. We have the pleasure of dialing in Dave, I think from, from Sydney. He's been patient waiting for us to get to him, so I appreciate that and all of you who are waiting to listen. We're going to talk to Dave, or I'm going to talk to Dave in a Q&A format about his, his prospects for the current global environment, the outlook for the year ahead, and, and what impact that might have on financial markets. Before we do that, however, many of you will be aware that Dave is one of the four, a team of four experienced multi-counselors on the Ned Group Investment Stable Fund which has been shooting the lights out for over 10 years for us. The the fantastic performance has been produced for the investors of the fund and it's the fund is number one over one year and if you look since inception 13 years ago, ago the fund is also number one relative to peers over that time or peers that have been in existence over that time. We you can see here from from the performance numbers that they the consistency of the outperformance has been there since inception. The consistency of the application of the investment strategy has been there, and that's driven by Dave's input as the CIO of Ford. Um, and very pleased that they've been able to maintain that position in a very uncertain year in 2020. So, Dave, thank you very much for joining us. Hello, Hello. Rob. Hello. So I think, you know, looking at those numbers over the longer term, I think what, what I'd like to do is to just kick off with, can, can you just tell us what the key components or what you think are the key components of the Ford investment approach that has enabled you to produce those category topping numbers that we've just seen? Well, a lot of investments is, is mechanical and you just do the calculations, but the big portion that they don't teach you properly in uh, in the university is that there's a judgment and I think the judgment in, in that and we, we are forward or forward looking so we try and anticipate where the risks are and manage the risk as well as looking where what sectors are likely to produce the better returns so it's a combination of those but we, we, we're still learning Rob and we've learned a lot and a lot of the extra performance we got in 2020, I think, came from experience, understanding what's happened. Thank you. And you like me? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's move on then to to a, a brief review of 2020 and what's helped or hindered the portfolio performance. Well, as you can see in the, in the things there, the property and, and and SA equity did not contribute. They contributed a small negative. But we didn't have much property and we didn't have much SA equity, but less than uh, 10%. So the weighting in that area was correct. And then we made a good contribution from SA bonds, in particularly that we had about 40% in SA bonds. That's two thirds of the money that can't go into equities in SA bonds, and particularly the R186, the 2026 bond. And you and the investors will recall that we've been mentioning for about three years now the, the 186 are offering value because there's not too much credit risk on the SA Treasury because it's shorter dated. And they're offering CPI plus five. 
uh, we locked in that CPI plus five, but I also said that if interest rates drop, you're going to have a problem not being able to get in higher interest rates because the interest rates will be then lower, as I think a lot of people that have been in cash have now found out over the last six months. But also, the lower interest rates will bring the 186 with time down the yield curve. So you get the waterfall effect. So it was a likely return of about 9% and a possible return of over, over 10%. So seeing as the fund's trying to get CPI plus 4, locking in over 5% with a big over 30% of the fund, 35, 36% of the fund looked like a great thing to do. And, of course, uh, in 2018, the interest rates ticked up a little bit, and we weren't so clever. We only got 7.5% in 2018 from the 186. But in 2019, the interest rates came down a bit, and we managed to get 12.6%. So two together, we were getting over over 10% for the two years. But this year, the interest rates came down, which was a, a scenario in which we said was was likely. And the 186s gave us 15.9% this year. So over the three-year period, it's given us 12.5%, which is CPI plus 8. It's way, way above the benchmark that we've been trying to get. So that, and that's a lesson in that you, you need to take a longer-term view on, on asset class choices, and that's something that we decided to do three, three and a half years ago. And the investors are only getting the reward for that now. But it's a good year to get it. And I'd also remind the investors that yeah, we had a fantastic year this year, but at the end of the year, the RAND was quite strong, and we have a very weak RAND bias in our portfolio. So um, despite the stronger RAND than expected, the portfolio did particularly well. And the reason for that is that we had a strong view on global equities, as global equities is a better asset class to be in. And that contributed about 8% of the return. And that could have been 12%. It's interesting, sometimes you have a good year and you actually left so much on the table, we could have actually done a lot better. But we did take, uh, we did have puts instead of straight hedges. We didn't go and put too much cash when the, when the problems hit on COVID. And we got back in fairly quickly. But in our offshore fund, uh, Global Equity Fund has done particularly well. It's 25% in dollars, 10% alpha there. And the lesson I want to share with investors there is just what I was saying just now. We, we're still learning. And seven, eight years ago, in international funds, I found it very difficult to pay up for quality stocks. And I kept missing. And there are lots of stocks which went up four, five times, and we didn't buy them for the sake of 5% or 10%. And what we learned three, four years ago is that we need to pay up. And what's encouraged that from my side is that these low interest rates mean cap rates need to be higher. So if you've got a 2% uh, US 10-year treasury, then the equity market should be on 50 PE if the upside from growth is equal to the risk of not making the earnings. And, of course, the treasuries have gone from 2% to 1%. So maybe the neutral market PE is, is about 100. Obviously, the risk becomes a lot more the higher the market goes. So that's, that's an extreme view, but I'm just showing you the corners that it can be. It does emphasize the fact that uh, market PEs of 25 and 30 are actually too cheap. 
And yeah, we followed that theme. Um, and we paid up for shares which previously had got away from us, and we still had some shares get away from us. So we could have done quite a bit better. But we did hold on and we did buy shares. And there's an opportunity happening internationally. There's so many people buying ETFs and, and index funds that the large cap stocks are getting, they're not um, that expensive, but they're getting pushed. And that's leaving a gap for the, the less followed stocks are actually cheaper relative to the rest of the market. So we're actually finding quite a few stocks which are giving us great returns, and that's where our alpha came from from last year. And the alpha could actually have been a lot more. We missed for a few things. We, we, we put hedges on, which cost us about $50 million. I don't think the money was wasted because it enabled us to hold on to the stocks rather than going in for cash to protect the portfolio. But if we hadn't spent that $50 million, our returns would have been a lot higher. And in the areas that we've been, been succeeding, we, we've got stocks in tech where lens companies, sensor companies, photo uh, companies. And then we've also got some micro stocks in the biotech space where we've been getting two and three times our investment in a short space of time. And we've got our, our, our main. Uh, Compounders, which have done well for us, the Roches, the Nestle's, stocks that we, we did buy and, and that we've held on to. We've got a little bit of Microsoft, we've got the Googles, the compounders in there. So we've got a nice balance in the portfolio. So I'm very excited about what's happening in that the global global equity fund, Rob. We also did well in materials. We've got three or four baggers in gold stocks, silver stocks, copper, uh, lithium. And another theme that we've been playing is, is agriculture. We think agriculture is the thing for the future. And we've got about four stocks in that space, which are not only performing well, but we expect to continue to perform well. So, yeah, I'm very excited about what we've been able to achieve, but it's, it's only the beginning of the, and as you're seeing it in the fund in January, you know, the RAND's weakened a little bit, the stable fund's up 2.5%. Global equity funds up about three and a half percent. We've got two and a half percent alpha already in January this year. Really excited about the stocks we hold. Nice diversification, good quality companies that we want to hold for quite some time and get good returns from. Thanks, Dave. That's a really comprehensive review of what's the components of the portfolio that have been helping returns. So what, what I'd like to do, I'll come back to a couple of your comments there on particularly on agriculture, which was quite interesting. But can we just let's just position your your current views on what's going on around the world. And you touched on there a couple of biotech names as well. But is it, you know, can we start by specifically addressing the evolution of the pandemic over the last couple of months? the introduction of vaccines, what that rollout might do and how this might play out in the near future. And whether was that was it the pandemic or the was that anything to do with the addition of the biotech companies or did you already hold those? The pandemic has it's, it's been a lot worse than we originally expected in this and duration. But the, the impact of the government's stupidity and short-sightedness and these governments who don't ever run a business 
making huge decisions which are collapsing little businesses which can't come back and gutting things out. I, I, I think that the, the cure has been worse than the disease and uh, still holds to that view. But how long it's going to last, the vaccine, I don't think is necessarily going to work. It's, it's more like in the flu situation, you get a shot, you're going to have to take it again. And if it's only 80% effective, then there's still going to be a lot of people transmitting and, and, and getting getting the COVID. So that's that. But it's a bigger issue in play. I think you were, how do we take advantage of it was one of your your, your questions. You know, we do have Johnson & Johnson in the portfolio. We do have Aspen in the portfolio. But the amount of money they're likely to be allowed to or be able to make from, from these uh, shots or from distributing them or making them, I don't think it's going to be material to their um, to their earnings. And, and we did a, a look at MediClinic that operates in three three countries, the Middle East, uh, Switzerland and South Africa. And, you know, if they go flat out and get huge market share on doing the vaccine, what's the impact on MediClinic's price? And we found it's only about 2%. So far more important to work out the bigger changes that are happening in the world um, from COVID. And our view is that a lot of change was already underway. A lot of change was needed. There's a lot of resistance to change as there normally is. But COVID then makes that slip and COVID makes things jump. And like a tectonic plate shifting as if it forces there and the force builds up and then you get an extraneous event like COVID and you suddenly get big movements happening. And that's including, you know, around the world, people not wanting to be so much in the city and more going to the country and different lifestyle. And I'm not, it's not the right place to go into all the changes that might happen, but it's, it's important to get hold of those. But on the biotech side, we were in the, some of the biotech stocks already. Um, and again, we were more going for the stocks which assist. So, Rather than stocks that have got a blockbuster drug that may or may not work, we've been going for the stocks that facilitate the transport store, get to the right temperature, make sure that the um, integrity of of the drug is held in terms of temperature, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in transport, and finding companies like that which have done us really well. Slightly from that theme. Another trend we've seen across the world uh, in recent times is continued polarization. And that's more, you know, nowhere more evident than what we've seen this year in, in the US. Uh, are there any other country or regional specific events in 2021 that, that you're keeping an eye on or investors should be worried about? Well, I'm, I'm a great worrier and invest, investors should always be worried. And I don't think that the China-US thing was just a Trump thing. I think that'll continue in different ways, and China's definitely becoming more emboldened in different ways. So that's something to be concerned about. But the bigger thing is inflation, and inflation hasn't come through yet, and it may still come through. But you've got a Democratic president coming through, and he's putting in the old guard, so your inner circle of socialist Democrats in the establishment are, are there. So Janet Yellen in Treasury is something you need to watch because she's very left and you know, she's going to go and make Robert Rubin and Larry Summers look like Nazis. 
So you expect her to come out and encourage the politicians who don't need any encouragement to spend and worry about paying the money back later. That's a big, big concern for me, that, that, that what that trend is going to do. And initially, that's going to be good for the markets, but later it's going to be bad. So, so um, it's a wild ride that we may be heading on because of the likes of Janet Yellen. Okay, thank you. And you, you touched on equity market valuations in your previous comments. Would you mind just may, maybe touching on that and begin with the with SA and then perhaps the US, but also within your answer, can you talk a bit about value versus growth? There's been a lot of rhetoric in the mar market or commentators in the market talking about this divergence in performance between value and growth. So. Sorry, there's a lot in that question. So, but market valuations. Let me start on the value versus growth thing. Sure. Value's been getting a bad rap, okay? Value is still been doing pretty well. But the score, you're getting the value indices are not value indices as we understand value. Value is buying a, a, a great company and a great company in terms of future earnings at a good price. Uh, the value indices that are there are actually low price stocks. And as you would expect, stocks that are on a low price are often on a low price for a reason. And then the sort of vernacular is, you know, the great majority of them become value trapped. So the so-called value indices aren't actually made up of stocks that I would call value or Buffett would call value, but the market sees them and they continue to underperform because they're actually bad stocks, which are going into those indices. So, and it's, it's typical of the trading banks to set up indices, you know, the ducks are quacking, so they feed them, they get all these indices together. And that's, that's a clear um, example of mis, misguidance and not people not paying attention to what's actually in the indices. So those who are saying that growth, growth is outperforming value are, are correct in terms of those indices, but not necessarily in terms of what, what true value should be. In terms of SA, quite difficult. Um, you've got the cyclical run happening in the, in the material side, which we haven't taken a, a full advantage of, particularly missed the platinum, which is you know, our fault because we've mostly got the previous cycles, nearly all the previous cycles we got right, so missed this one. Very sad about that. Where the earnings are going to be. But on the on the SA incorporated side, it's very difficult to understand where the earnings are going to be going forward. And so the valuation there, I don't know whether the, the market's cheap or expensive because I don't know what, what level of confidence to put on the earnings uh, five years out. It's quite tricky. But global equities, in terms of the framework that I mentioned just now, uh, low interest rates for longer, 1% one, 1 10-year yield. Global equities are cheap. Global equities are, are the main game in town in terms of asset allocation. But that comes with a, with a rider. We've seen lots of downdrafts down in the past, and you're likely to see another one because this is the first, first year of a first-term president, and those are often down, down years for the market. But with, with Yellen and Powell pumping uh, money everywhere, Yellen, 
And um, yeah, there's just too much money around and much more money coming into, into that market. So valuations are cheap. But you need to pick your punches because certain industries are dinosaur industries. You can't just buy anything and everything. So it's, a, it's very much a stock picker's market going forward. And that's the sort of thing we love. So we're very excited about 2021. That's not going to be an easy ride. I think 2020 was a warning that things are going to be volatile. Thanks, David. A lot of information within that answer. Would you just touch on the, the portfolio positioning as, as, as it's based, given, given your recent comments? And I'll bring up the slide on the asset allocation over time as well. Yeah, we've got to, we, we, we're still on the, managing the 60% that we can't put in equities. We still want the majority of that to be in short-dated uh, SA bonds. The 186s are, are, are getting near the end of their use-by time, and we need to go further out the yield curve and play the waterfall there, and we need to get the timing of that right. And then on the international side, you know, we've got 28% in global equities and about 8% in local equities. That's where we want to be. We want to be in those global equities. But we do want to start putting hedges on because – there can be some major downdrafts, but we, you know, we would buy puts. Started buying some last week, so we've got a small hedge on local equities, and we, we've got just also a small hedge on international equities at the moment. But we'd look to expand that by the end of end of January. And those are the two main those are the two main areas to be in. We don't want to be in bonds. We don't. The emerging market equities, I think, are still risky because they they are suffering far more than the United States who is spending a lot of money and places like uh, Australia that are spending money because they had the money to spend and Europe is spending money that doesn't have the money to spend. Emerging markets haven't been able to shore up their economies like the major economies have, and they'll take a lot longer to recover from this. Uh, Chinese economy is still doing well. So I, we still expect uh, good growth from that sphere. But we don't want to be in bonds in case inflation comes in and the interest rates jump. So we've got return-free risk in bonds. Property's got an issue. Commercial has got an issue from competition from the internet. And offices have got a, got a problem with people leaving the cities. So what's, what's going to happen there? So we need to be very selective and careful in, in property. But, you know, we are looking to try and find some there. SA property, we think, is still a little bit early there because of what's happening to the internal economy there with the, the problems that's happening from the Treasury and the, the government is, is nearly bankrupt. So you need to be careful on property. So what 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 is left? It's, it's um, short-dated SA bonds and global equities, and that that gives you a nice barbell as well. Gives you a nice risk-reward situation on both. And we've got about what's it, 12, 13 percent in in cash, and you know that cash is not there for the, the earnings on the cash. That cash is there in case there's a disconnect in the market and something uh, sells off and becomes cheap. As we saw, you know, even in our own bonds in March this year, or in global equities, and the lesson on investing is that if you've got cash and nobody else has got cash, then you're able to get buy bargains. So that cash is there to buy bargains, not to get the six percent, five percent yield that we're getting on it. Does that help, Rob? Yeah, very much so. Thanks, David. Dave, and sorry, last question, and before I move on to the next slide is. You had strong views on inflation and hyperinflation, but around the world. 
but we've got some you know some figures coming out this week in South Africa on the inflation and and uh, interest rate decision as well. Do you have any expectations there? Well, inflation locally is going to start to be pushed up by the food prices. Agricultural prices around the world are moving up, and that's going to push some 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 numbers on short-term inflation. But you know, one year's uh, tick up in the corn price is not necessarily multi-year inflationary. So you know, that can be a one-off event. But I, I think it will have a, a, a greater knock-on effect than, than previous times. But luckily, uh, you know, the, the the Reserve Bank, I think. I know what they should do. They should cut rates 50 basis points. What do I think they're going to do? I think they're going to do nothing. I think inertia is the, is the default option in South Africa, and I, I guess they're going to do nothing. But they should drop the rate 50 points. Okay, thank you. And I'm just going to move on to the last slide, and, and, and you, your... Your title for the talk today was uh, was Stable Fund and your guys, the investment team at Ford provided us with this chart where we compare the short, medium and long term performance of the fund relative to the low equity peer group and the flexible income peer group as well. So I'd just like to give you the floor to touch on your thoughts on, on the, we, the Stable Fund. We're very, we're very proud of the fact that we're the number one stable fund. But also, you know, the big enemy is inflation, and that's why the benchmarks C CPI plus four. And there was big discussion in the early days when we had it up. You know, what about CPI plus three? Because we, you know, are you going to get CPI plus four? And I, I, I promised uh, Nick Andrew that we'd be able to get CPI plus four. And that was before before fees, but we now managed to get it after fees, which we've, we're very pleased with. In a period even with lower interest rates and, and bad equity markets. But also just pointing out that you know there's competition out there in other sectors, and we the stable fund is outperforming flexible income or the flexible income funds, which you would expect. The flexible income funds can only put 30% in equities, and we can put 40% in equities. So that relative outperformance in that those two sectors together, we would expect to continue to hold. Okay, thanks very much, Dave. And uh, any last points of view or comments for fund investors or investors in general that you'd like to leave us with today? Yeah, just just on the equity investments in terms of green, being green and, and looking after the planet, etc. We more and more want to do that. And in the past, there's been different things that you wanted to do, but it's actually better to make the money, the extra money, and then allow the investor to, to look after those, those ideas, which may be, you know, looking after other people and being, doing things like that. But more and more, we're getting to the stage where if you take coal and, and oil, et cetera, the future returns are not going to be so good from those industries. So we're moving to the point we actually don't want to be in them, partly for the benefit of the planet, not because it's a theme that people are following, but because it's actually going to be better for our investors not to be in them because they're actually dying industries and they're not going to be, they're not going to have customers in the future and the governments are going to turn on them, whereas the governments have been assisting them in the past. 
So, you know, we're very much into the ESG. And just a warning on some of the indices. We don't agree with the indices. Again, we think the indices are being created by the trading banks to feed the ducks that are quacking. Not all those industries are proper indices, and they've been made to be easy to beat. Some of them have got oil in them. Some of them have got tobacco in them and things like that. So we don't like that. But the other thing that's happening in that, in that is, is, is you've got a company like Total is going so green, it's going to try to take its, its, its capital and its money that it's made from oil, and soon it's going to be a very green business. So it's another lesson that you can't just put things in boxes and expect the name on the, the label to be accurate. So I'll just leave the investors with that thought. Thanks very, thanks very much, Dave, and uh, very pertinent comment. Uh, as it's, it's a complex set of factors that you need to consider within the responsible investing and ESG universe. Yeah. Thank you very much for spending the time with us today and, and, and sharing your thoughts. Uh, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Ned Group, and thank you all investors. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.